Praise the Lord. If you will open your Bibles to the second book, which is Exodus. Let's start reading a couple of passages. We'll start with chapter 14, verses 10 to 12. Exodus chapter 14, verses 10 to 12. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Chapter 15, verses 22 to 24. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Then they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Chapter 16, verses 1, 2, and 3. And they journeyed from Elim, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill us, this whole assembly, with hunger." And finally, 17, verses 1, 2, and 3. Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped in Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Let's take a moment to commit this time into the hands of the Lord. Father, we thank you right now, Lord Father, for these verses which we have read. And we know, Lord, that you have something for us that you want to tell us this day, Lord. Father God, I pray, Lord, that every one of us will be ready to receive that which you have, that which you have for us, Lord. Father, we commit ourselves into your hands. We open out our hearts unto you, Lord, that when you speak, we will listen, Lord. And where correction needs to be done, correct us, Lord. We surrender ourselves into your hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, we'll come back to these four passages in just a minute. But I'd like to tell you a little story of uh, 
survivor of a shipwreck. The only survivor of a shipwreck. Now, he had been washed up onto a small, uninhabited island. He prayed feverishly to God for a rescue, that God would rescue him. And every day he scanned the horizon for help. This was a small island, so whether he turned to the north, the south, the east, or the west, he couldn't see a ship. He couldn't see anybody coming to save him. He tried this out a few days, a few weeks, nothing seemed to happen, and so he was just resigned to the fact that he would probably have to spend the rest of his life on this little island. And so he built for himself a small thatched hut out of whatever branches he could collect, uh, and he kind of stayed there, caught some fish, heated it on, a, you know, cooked it on, on a fire that he somehow managed to make up. And he was living like this for a few weeks. And one day, he put a fish on the fire and went for a swim. At least the one thing he had was a swimming pool. Uh, so he went for a swim. And when he returned, lo and behold, his hut was burning. His fish was burnt. Everything that he had, the few possessions that he had managed to collect from the shipwreck, Everything was burnt. And he screamed out in frustration. God, do you have to do this to me? As it is, you shipwrecked me. You put me on an island where there's nobody I can talk to. And I just managed to survive here. And now whatever little I have, the little mansion that I have built for myself, you're burning it. God, you are cruel. And in his tears, weeping, he went to sleep. Morning, he woke up to see people on that island. And then he was wondering, he said, where did you guys come from? They said, well, we saw your smoke signal. We were on the horizon and we saw your smoke signal and we came here and here you are. The man was rescued. See, so very often in life, we complain. We crib. Sister Zinia just told us about complaints. It's the same story. The man on the island cribbed. He complained. You and I crib and complain all the time. The Egyptians did it. Chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter. Every time they had an answer from God... Whatever was their complaint, whatever was their cry, when they had no direction forward, God gave them a direction. When they had no water, God provided water. When they had no food, God provided them the best food. And yet, when the next crisis came, they complained, and they complained, and they complained. Is this our portion? You see, whatever was their situation, whatever was the circumstance they were in, the Israelites had only one response, and that was to complain. Very rarely do we actually read in the Bible that the Israelites praised God in their difficulties. Today we need to ask ourselves that question. 
where do we stand? Are we also a people with only one response, and that one response is to complain and to crib all the time? When, when a storm comes into your life, what is our immediate response? Is it to complain? The world today is definitely much more competitive than what it was 4,000 years back. It is much less predictable than what it was 4,000 years back. Statistics. Now, statistics and lies generally go together, okay, but putting that aside, statistics tells us that an employed person today has to understand and process 20 times more information than a person 50 years back. So basically, you and I live in a pressure cooker situation. Who isn't in a pressure cooker situation? We are either in the frying pan or on the stove boiling. You know, it's, it's, it's that kind of a situation that we face, whether it's in our office, whether it's at home, whether it's our relationship with relatives, sometimes with friends, we are often in this pressure cooker situation. And in this pressure cooker situation, just like the Israelites, we let out steam at regular intervals. And very often, this steam is in the form of a complaint, a word of anger, a word of frustration, or something very similar. In other words, we are constantly facing challenges in our life. The Israelites faced it 4,000 years back. The man on that island faced it. You and I face it. It's a fact of life. Is there anyone here who hasn't faced a challenge? Is there anyone right now who isn't having a challenge? All of us have faced challenges or we're facing challenges. It's there all the time. But if you look to the world, you will find that there are many solutions. There are hundreds of solutions to face challenges. There are hundreds of books, bestsellers, New York's bestsellers, the Times bestsellers, which tell you how to face a challenge. And let me tell you something. All these Men and women who have written those books, before they wrote that book, they faced one huge challenge. And you know what the challenge is? They, didn't, they did not have money. They wrote the book. You and I are buying the books. They are laughing all the way to the bank. Their challenge has been solved. You see, so there, is a lot, there are a lot of books on how to face challenges. Plenty. Some, somebody will tell you, you can try standing on your head. You could. All you will end up with is a headache. You can try standing first on the right leg. They look like a pelican. Or maybe then stand on the left leg, and you look like another pelican. And somebody else looking at you will probably think correctly, that you need to be in a mental asylum, okay? You can try breathing in through one nose and breathing out through the other nose. 
If you can breathe out through the ear, please feel free to do so. All that you will look like is you look like a rhinoceros blowing steam. Nothing else. Your challenges are still going to be there. Nothing has happened to your challenges. They are there. And with every challenge you have, you also face an internal reaction, which is what is called stress. Everybody is stressed out. Okay? And we blame it on half a dozen things. We blame it on things around us. We blame it on our circumstances. We blame it on our stars. We blame it on the devil. Sometimes we blame it on God also. Okay? Now, I'm not going to talk to you about the different solutions that might be available. I'm not out here to make some extra money. Okay. But what I'm going to tell you is, does the Bible give us a way forward? Are there some principles that we can try to look at and try to see, has God given us the answer? How do we face challenges? And so the title of today's message is simply Facing Life's Challenges the Biblical Way. Now all of us possess Bibles in one form or the other. And therefore, we have no re reason to say that we don't have the solution with us. It is there. The Bible has solutions to every challenge. Okay, so we have the solution right with us. Now, let's open our Bibles and let's try to see. See, what are some of those uh, uh, solutions that God has already placed in the Bible for you and me to understand it, apply it in our lives, and then the challenge disappears. And you don't have a headache, you don't look like a person who should be in the mental asylum, and neither do you look like a rhinoceros. Okay? So there we are. The Bible gives us many stress-busting or challenge-beating options. But I'm just going to pick on few. And depending on the time, we'll see where we end up with that. Number one, and I think this is key, learn to obey God. Learn to obey God. Whatever be the size of your challenge, just remember that God can shrink it, God can collapse it. Okay, there is no challenge that God cannot deal with. It's big in your eyes and in my eyes. But in God's eyes, there is no challenge that is big. And it doesn't matter in front of whose eyes that challenge is there. God can always deal with it. Okay? God is much bigger than any challenge you'll ever face. Rather than looking at the wall in front of you, rather than looking at the challenge in front of you, turn to God. Learn to obey God. Number one, let's go to Joshua chapter 6, verses 1 to 5. Joshua chapter 6, verses 1 to 5. Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all you men of war. You shall go all around the city once. This you shall do six days. And 
Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horns, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout. Then the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, every man straight before him. And indeed, if we go to verse 20, we just read that the wall came down flat. You see, the wall did not come down because of the strategy of Joshua. The wall did not come down because the huge numbers of Israelites marched around that city for six days, once a day, or seven times on the seventh day. The walls did not come down because of the sound made by the horns or the shouts raised by the Israelites. These could all be explanations that experts in physics will try to tell you that when a whole army of a nation is marching around a city, the vibrations will shake the foundation. Okay, these are worldly explanations. The sound of the horn and the shout of the people will crack the walls. That's physics. But what we know here is the wall came down for only one reason. And that reason is the people obeyed God. The instruction might sound absurd. The instruction might defy logic. The instruction may make you look silly if you have to do it. Imagine the mighty men of valor were inside Jericho watching these Israelites going round and round the city. And they said, what are these guys trying to do? What army is this which is just walking around the city silently without talking six days? So Joshua told them, keep quiet. Don't talk. It defies reason. So how is the wall going to come down? There is no principle behind that. The only principle that worked here is that the Israelites did exactly as God dictated. And the wall came crumbling down flat. What is the wall in front of you? What is the challenge you are facing today? Ask God for an answer. And God will give you an answer. And that answer will defy reason. It will defy logic. Because if it is a logical answer, you don't need to ask God. Logically, you can get that answer. There are enough wise brains who can give you a logical answer. But God gives you an answer which beats logic. Why does he give you that? Because he wants to see whether you are going to be worried about what the next man is going to say on how you act. Or whether you are going, you're not worried about world opinion and you are going to obey God. Sometimes you, you may look foolish doing things of God. Foolish to whom? 
foolish in the eyes of people around you, but not foolish in the eyes of God. Because if God asks you to do something some way, do it. All God is asking for is obedience. He has not asked us to question why it should be done that way. He has not asked us for a second opinion. God does not give us an option of asking him, God, can we do a, have a second plan, please? I will look like a fool in my office. It doesn't matter if you have to look like a fool in your office because at the end you are going to laugh all the way. And the other guy is going to look like a fool. Okay? Obey God. Instruction number one to face challenges in life is simply learn to obey God. And that is one thing that we have thrown out. We have learned to do a lot of other things, biblically. But we have chosen not to obey God in some of those crucial instructions that he gives. Okay, but there is no option there. When God says obey, it's an all or none law. You don't obey God 99%. You either choose to obey him completely or not at all. 99% obedience is still disobedience. You've got to go the whole hog. Nothing less than that. Obedience is the key for us. Throughout the Bible, the one thing that persists is God's people disobeyed. They were punished. God's people disobeyed. They were punished. We've got to take our lesson from that. You see, obedience remains the key. It was the key. It remains the key and shall be the key in the future also. God's power is seen in your obedience. God's wrath is seen in your disobedience. Exodus chapter 23, verses 20 to 22, says this. Behold, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. Beware of him and obey his voice. Do not provoke him, for he will not pardon your transgressions. For my name is in him. But if you indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. That's who God is. It's time you and I took God. It's time we stopped joking and putting limits to what God can do. But when God says, do this, we say, yes, sir. Remember, you are a soldier. You are a foot soldier in God's army. Even if you were the chief, you are still under the commander-in-chief. And the com in the army discipline, when the commander-in-chief says, jump, you jump. Okay? So as army men and women, we jump when God says, jump. When God says, do this, you do that. Because at the end, all things work for good to those who love the Lord. Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 23. 
But this is what I commanded them saying. Obey my voice and I will be your God and you shall be my people. And walk in all the ways that I have commanded you and it shall be well with you. I've just picked two verses. There are many, many verses which talk about the need to be obedient to God and his word. That's one thing we need to learn. We need to learn to be obedient to God. Number two, learn to seek the counsel of God. Learn to seek the counsel of God. Who do we turn to in times of challenges, in stress and trouble? Do we first seek the counsel of God? Or that of man. It is not wrong to turn to godly men and women, brothers and sisters in the Lord. But who do you turn to first? The Bible says you can get godly counsel. But who do you turn to first? Do you straight away rush to somebody else and Pour out your burdens on that person and expect a solution from there without going to the actual solution giver. We need to go to God first. Joshua chapter 9, verses 3 to 6. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they worked craftily and went and pretended to be ambassadors. And they took old sacks on their donkeys, old wineskins torn and mended, old and patched sandals on their feet, old garments on themselves, and all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. Then they went to Joshua, to the camp at Gilgal, and said to him and to the men of Israel, We have come from a far country. Now, therefore, make a covenant with us. And what did Joshua and his council of leaders do? Let's read on, verse 14 to 15. Then the men of Israel took some of their provisions, but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. So Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them and let them live. And the rulers of the congregation swore to them. And it happened at the end of three days, after they had made a covenant with them, that they heard that they were their neighbors who dwelt near them. Mistake of Joshua. The instruction was, get rid of everybody. This is the land that I'm giving you. This is God's instruction to the Israelites. God never said, go and live in peace with them. God said, I am giving you the land. Go ahead and knock off everybody. Take nothing for yourself. And that's what Joshua was doing. After Jericho, there was a problem with Ai, and then that got sorted out, and then they took Ai, and they went on city after city. They were doing that. And suddenly this complacency came in. Okay, and so when these people came from the neighboring country, but pretended to be from far away, Joshua was deceived. The leaders were deceived. 
If Joshua, who was so close to God, could be deceived, what about you and me? We are being deceived day in and day out. We are being deceived in every possible way, day in and day out. So in every situation, what did Joshua have to do? These people have come, they want a covenant to live in peace. So once a covenant is made, it can't be broken. It's not a contract, it's a covenant. And they were very clever, they were very wise, but they deceived Joshua. And Joshua did not consult with God. He did not seek the counsel of God. He and his wise men decided, yes, these people are poor people. These people have come from a far land. Look at them. Even their bread is moldy. They signed the covenant. And three days later, the true picture comes out. Who are you signing a covenant with? Till before the ink on that paper dries, you will see the, the true nature of the person with whom you have signed a covenant. Beware, don't do that. We have clear instructions. Go to God and in counsel. Let God direct your steps. I've fallen for the tricks of uh, insurance people, timeshare guys, quick sellers, because they give you only one day. The best offer for one day. Today, you have gone at 5 o'clock and the office closes at 6 o'clock. You've got to take a decision. Just sign this paper, sir. Just sign this paper. We'll finish the deal. You are so stressed out at that time, you have no time to take counsel of God. And you sign, and then you realize you made a mistake. Okay, but anyway, the office closes that day at 6 o'clock, so there's nothing that could have been done. And then you go a week later and they're still doing the same thing. Hello, I thought you said this was over a week back. That was over a week back for you. You see, we are intelligent people who are being deceived every day. I don't think that, none of, uh, that we are not deceived. Find out where your money is going. Why is it at the end of the month we don't have any money? A lot of it goes in things we don't need. Take the counsel of God in every situation. That guy says there's only six, I mean, you have to sign by six o'clock, tell him I'll talk to my God. My Bible says that God stopped the sun for 24 hours. He can do it. Let me talk to God. I'll talk to God and I'll come back to you. If you are here, fine. If you are not here, somebody else will be here. Okay, okay. Seek the counsel of God. Making decisions on our own can sometimes lead us down a disastrous path of self-destruction. And we know that based on what Joshua did. To this day, the heathen are still occupying the land. It should have been over 4,000 years back. 
the story should have been different from that point onward. Mistakes were made. Counsel was not correctly taken. So when God asks you to destroy something in your life, please do so ruthlessly. Don't hold on to it. Don't hang on to it. As Sister Zinia told us, when it's time for us to go up there, you can't take that thing and go with you. You'll have to leave it behind. However precious it is, however great a sentimental value it has to you, you're not going to take it with you. Very often it won't even be buried in your coffin unless you were the pharaoh. Okay, with the pharaoh, you can bury some live people also with you. Okay, but none of us are in that position. So somebody else is going to take that thing away and go anyway. So when God says, give it up, give it up. Because you are holding something so tightly that God, God can't fill your hand any longer. Open your hand and let it go. Then only God can fill it. How do you, take, how do you receive a gift from somebody? Not this way. You don't look like a leper when you go and collect a gift. You go with open hands. Okay? Surrender that. Leave it. When God says destroy something, he means destroy something. God has got no problem with language. God doesn't need a dictionary. When he says destroy, he means destroy. Okay. Destroy means completely knock it off, kill it. No chance of life, no revival at all for that thing. See, God knows what he's talking about. So don't try to outguess God. Don't try to outguess God. We'll never succeed. The devil tried it. He's on his way to hell. Now, what stops us from going to God for counsel? Why is it we, we, we hesitate to go to God for counsel? I mean, all of us, if I ask you, you'll say you always go to God for counsel. But the reality is that many of us don't go to God for counsel. We go to godly men and women for counsel. Okay, but my question is, what stops us from going to God for counsel? Two things. Number one, we know what God is going to do. And we don't like that. We know exactly what God is going to say. But you don't like to hear what God is going to say. Because God is going to tell you something that you don't want to do. And so we don't go to God, because if we go to God and he tells us that again, you are now bound to do it. Okay, but we, but we have some other plan. We want things to work out slightly differently, but God is doing things this way. Remember, God is old. God is not of this generation. He is not current. So God's thinking may be different. That's the way we think. I am modern. I belong to the 21st century. Okay, I mean, some of you may think I'm a dinosaur. If, if, if I'm a dinosaur, then who, what about God? He's older than a dinosaur. Right? So sometimes we don't like the answer that God is going to give us. We know the answer because you have probably taken that to God in the past and he's already given you the answer. And I don't like it. So I don't want to go to God for counsel. That's number one. Number two, we know that we have been disobedient to God. And we know that when we go back to God, God is going to say, what about that? 
I told you to do this. You were disobedient. I was disobedient. And therefore, I don't want to go back to God. You see, our ego stands in our way. So, number two, learn to seek the counsel of God. There is no better counsel that you can get. I have not found any evidence anywhere or in my personal life that somebody else can give me better counsel than God. That doesn't happen. Number three, learn to trust the Lord. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 26, verses 3 to 4. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For in Yah, the Lord is everlasting strength. We face challenges. Our life is in chaos. Everything about us is volcanic. Things are erupting. What do you want? You want calm. You want peace of mind. And the Bible tells us, you will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you. Learn to trust God. It's he who will give you perfect you see, challenges and stress rob you of peace. But when you trust God, peace reigns. Complete peace reigns. The, the, the challenge may still be there. But you will no, no longer be in a chaotic situation. You will no longer be stressed out. You will be able to face that challenge. Because God is with you. It's God who gives you. It's God who gives calm. In the midst of a storm, God can tell the storm, be quiet. The storm will be still out there. But around you, when God says, be quiet, that storm in your life will cease. For that to happen, trust the Lord. Trust the Lord completely. So we need to learn to trust the Lord. Psalm, Psalms 9 verse 10 says, And those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. God has not forsaken anyone who has chosen to seek him. So if you feel forsaken, if you feel lost, the answer is very simple. You have not sought the Lord. Seek the Lord and trust Him completely. If there's one person on whom you can trust your entire life, it is God and God alone. No one else. Number four. Meditate on the Word of God. Meditate on the Word of God. The Bible is filled with incredible promises right across. Theologians have counted the numbers of promises. 
PhD theses have been written on the promises of God. Promises of God have been classified into different varieties. All this is for academic, theoretical knowledge. But the simple fact of the matter is a promise is to be activated in an individual life. You take it, you say, this is for me, from God, I'm going to live by it. That's all. It may have a condition, very often it does. If you do this, this is what you get. Here we had the promise today, verse, verse 14 was, if my people turn to me, and verse 15 was what God is going to do. Okay, so there's always a promise from God. So we need to meditate on the word of God because the Bible is filled with promises. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all of you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What are you looking for in a, looking for in a storm? Rest. What are you looking for when your life is chaotic and upside down? Rest. You want a time to just breathe. And God says, come to me. And I will give you rest. How do you know that? Turn to the word of God. Because if you had not read Matthew eleven twenty eight, you will not know that it is written right there, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So if you need to know that God has already given you the invitation to come to him, and he will give you rest, for you to know that you should have opened your Bible. You need to study the Word of God. Meditate on the Word of God day and night. Jeremiah asks us to chew the Word of God. He ate the Word of God. Meditating on the Word of God requires time and effort. It is not something that is done on an on-off basis. It's not something that you do because you have nothing else to do. It is something that you need to put your mind to. How much time do you spend with God? How much time do you spend with the Word of God? Now, you see, I had to, re, I had to rephrase that question. Because how much time do you spend with God... Many of us can have a lot of time with God. You'll say, I put on praise songs, worship songs, I'm with God. True. But I'm asking you, how much time do you spend with the Word of God? Because the Word of God is the voice of God. It's God speaking to you and to me. So if you want to know what God is saying to you, you need to spend time with the Word of God. Because that is God speaking to you. How much time? I'll give you 10 seconds. How much time did you spend with the Word of God yesterday? Don't tell me. Tell yourself how much time you spent with the Word of God yesterday. I'm not talking about a weekly basis. I'm talking about a daily basis. 
how much time did you spend with the Word of God yesterday? Joshua chapter 23, verses 6 to 8. And this is Joshua making his farewell address to the Israelites. He's now an old man. He has read, led them through battles. He has divided the land and given it to the tribes. And there was peace in that land. There were still some other heathens living there. They couldn't drive them out. But Joshua ends chapter 23 and 24. This is his final address to the people. So Joshua 23, verses 6 to 8. Therefore, be very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, lest you turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left, lest you go among these nations, these who remain among you. You shall not make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause anyone to swear by them. You shall not serve them nor bow down to them, but you shall hold fast to the Lord your God as you have done to this day. He starts off by saying, therefore be very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. That is the instruction. That is Joshua's final instruction to the people of Israel. And that's an instruction to every one of us. Today we are all so privileged to have the Word of God with us in multiple formats. You can have it in the book format if you, if you wish to read it from a book. You can have it in different versions. You can have it in different languages. You can have it on the electronic version. But you need to read and spend time. When you choose not to spend time with the Word of God, remember the Word of God is the voice of God. It's God speaking to you and to me. But when you choose not to spend time with the Word of God, you are simply telling God, zip up. Keep quiet, shush, I don't need your advice. This is what we're telling God. Because we talk to God and say, I need this, I need this, I need this, I need this. When God comes back with his answer, he says, Shh. just give me what I asked for. Don't talk. God says, I'm talking to you. Here it is. So if that's what we're telling God, keep quiet. That's exactly what God will do in our lives. He'll keep quiet. God is a gentleman. You have told him to zip up. He will zip up. The words will just be Strings of letters put together. 26 letters of the English alphabet jumbled up together forming some words having no meaning when you read it or when I read it. But if that one verse has to have meaning in your life, if that one verse has to become a promise in your life, you've got to be listening to the voice of God. 
And that voice of God comes to you in the form of the Word of God. That's how important it is to meditate on the Word of God. And I shall now make a proposal. I'm glad the children are back and I shall make a proposal now. I propose that the Bread of Life start a Bible tuition class. Two hours a day, twice a week, weekdays only. This will be for students of standards 9, 10, 11, and 12 only. Parents, if you've got children, standards 9, 10, 11, and 12. I propose that we have a Bible class, 6 to 8, twice a week. You haven't heard the full of whole thing. It's not going to be free like discipleship training. It's 25 reals. I mean, that's what we spend for uh, mathematics tuition and science tuition and uh, commerce tuition and physics tuition. Two days a week, three days a week. Am I right? We need to get serious, parents. We need to get really serious, parents. Now, how many parents are really prepared to send kids to a Bible class? We make fun when other people of other religions send their children to their religious classes. But for us, it is all about mathematics, 100%, physics, 99.96%, Commerce, accountancy, computer science, none of these is going to get us to heaven. None. You can be an absolute illiterate in all of these things. It's perfectly fine. Know the Lord and you are on your way to heaven. Know the word of God and you are an intelligent person. Let me ask a question to children of standards 11 and 12. How much time? 11 and 12. Others can take a break. How much time do you spend with the Word of God daily? Be serious. I know half a dozen of you are going to be leaving pretty soon and moving on to colleges elsewhere. Maybe about 8, 10, 12 people. Do you have the habit of reading the Word of God? Tomorrow you are going to be in some college somewhere some university, somewhere around the globe, are you prepared to face life's challenges? How are you going to face it? With God or without God? And you better have an answer to that right now before you get onto that plane. 
because challenges never cease. But if you have got the Word of God with you, and you are in the habit of referring to the Word of God, and if you are in the habit of meditating on the Word of God, your mountains will become molehills in no time. You don't, your molehills will become mountains. It's as simple as that. We made mistakes as, as youngsters, and we carry the scars. You don't need to do that. Don't reinvent the wheel. Okay, Sister Zinia told us how privileged she was to have grown up in this church. Many of you are like that. Don't scorn that privilege. There are more things that we could say. There are more principles that we could apply okay, to face challenges on a day-to-day -day basis. Prayer is absolutely important. Learning to say no is absolutely important. Putting God first all the time. Put God first all the time. Absolutely important. And there are many more principles. If you open your Bible, you will find that God gives you the answers to every challenge. How are you going to face the challenge? God's got the answer already. The issue is, are we prepared to do that or not? Today, have you and I rejected God and replaced Him with some earthly, worldly thing or king or whatever? Most of us will say no, but you really should introspect because the reality is different. The reality is different. Strip off these masks, every one of us. We need to strip them off. And we really need to see where do we stand in facing life's challenges, with God or without God. Look at your own lives. Let me look at my own life. I'm not being critical on you. I'm being critical on myself as I say this. But everybody needs to be critical on himself or herself. Don't be critical on your neighbor. Okay, it's about, it's about me. For you, it's about you. Is God first all the time in your life? When you get up in the morning, what is the first thing you do? Do you turn to the Lord and His Word? God fed the Israelites manna from heaven. He is ready to feed us day in and day out. Are we prepared to take His Word and live the day by His Word? Are we prepared to open the Bible first thing in the morning? Get instructions from God. Take our dose of protection for the day. Take our dose of provision for the day. Take our dose of direction for the day. Take our dose of wisdom for the day. That's what we need to do. Is that the first thing we do? Are you clearly living your life with God first all the time? Not God first some of the time, it's all the time. 
These are hard questions, but these are questions we need to ask ourselves. A tired father had just returned from work, and I will close with this anecdote. He sat down with a hot cup of tea and opened the newspaper, and just then his little daughter ran up to him, plonked herself at his feet, and started jabbering about her day at school. The father wasn't the least bit interested in her talk. He was tired, and he was not interested in this little girl's talk. He was getting irritated. And as he was wondering what to do, he noticed a full-page ad with the picture of the world map in it. He decided to give her a jigsaw puzzle. That was, her that was going to be her problem. So he tore up the world map into multiple small pieces, gave it to her and asked her to recreate the picture of the world. He knew she would never be able to do that. She was too small to know the geography of the world. And this was too big a task for her. But he would have peace and quiet for the next two hours, or so he thought. But lo and behold, in five minutes, his daughter was there and said, Daddy, I've done it. How is that possible? How did she do it? So he said, how did you do it? So she said, on the other side was a picture of Jesus. All I had to do was to put Jesus first. And the world took care of itself. That was a lesson for the father that day. As I said earlier, the world has many solutions to stress and challenges, and we mentioned some of them. The point is, none of these solutions really work. Because if they worked, you wouldn't have so many solutions. After all, for any problem, you need one solution. The fact that there are multiple solutions simply means that nothing works. Okay? That's it. So we have got to get to the bottom of the problem. And the bottom of the problem is simply this. Our challenges is because we lack trust in God. The reason for our challenges, the bottom line simply is, we do not trust God enough. And that's where when we turn to the Word of God and apply biblical principles, we'll see that God works. And that's my final thought for you. Stress is a lack of trust in God. But if we are to face challenges and bust stress the biblical way, just remember these principles. Number one, learn to obey God. Number two, learn to seek the counsel of God. Number three, learn to trust in the Lord. Number four, learn to meditate on the Word of God. Number five, which we didn't go into, learn to pray. Number six, learn to say no. And number seven, learn to put God first all the time. God bless you all, as hopefully you will move from a challenged life to a challenge-free life. Shall we take a moment to just thank the Lord and talk to Him at this time? We are not fit.
Now God is asking us to follow biblical way to face our challenges. It's not left to us. How do you want to do it? Isaiah 119 says, If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. In other words, if you are willing to allow God to help you face that challenge, according to his word, that the challenges will become a stepping stone to your greater height. I want you to express yourself unto God. Say, Father, I am willing. Please give me the grace to obey your word. Give me the grace to seek counsel from you. Are you praying that prayer? You cannot use my grace. Neither can you use the grace of pastor. You need your own grace from God. Many of us, we struggle with all these things. Ordinary meditating on the word of God. You are struggling with it. Pray you are struggling. You go to seek counsel from unbelievers. Instead of going to seek counsel from God. And you call yourself a child of God. You are struggling. Ask for the grace. Say, Lord, I am willing. Give me the grace to seek counsel from you. Not from men. Give me the grace to meditate on your word. Give me the grace to pray always in the midst of my challenges. Give me the grace to learn to say no. To learn to say no, Lord, give me the grace. Give me the grace to learn to put you forth in all areas of my life. That when challenges come, I will look up unto the heap from whence cometh my help. David said, Say, my help come from the Lord, the maker of heaven. Lord, I know you are the one that can help me. And you are the one that can help me. I receive grace to seek you. I receive grace to obey your word. I receive grace to meditate on your word. I receive grace to use biblical approach to face my challenges. Thank you, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Father, we thank you for your word today. Thank you for your servant that you have used to share this word with us. We pray that, Lord, you will renew your grace, your strength upon your servant and the family in the name of Jesus. And as we have expressed our willingness to obey your word, to your biblical approach as we face our challenges, we receive grace today onward in the name of Jesus. When Paul went to you with his challenges, you told Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee. Let your grace be sufficient for each and every one of us as we face our challenges in the name of Jesus. And as we align with your will, let those challenges be stepping stones to greater height for us in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. As you go this week, I pray the Lord will go with you. The Lord will go with you. And you shall come back with testimonies. In the name of Jesus. Every challenge you are facing or you have to face this week. The Lord God Almighty with whom there is no impossibility. It will arise on your behalf in the name of Jesus. Let God arise and his enemy be scattered. Every enemy that is throwing all those challenges at you, the Lord will arise and they shall be scattered in the name of Jesus. Everything you lay your hands on this week, 
by the power in the name of Jesus. I decree shall prosper in the name of Jesus. As you go this week, the favor of God will follow you in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. And the grace to obey. Receive now in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' mighty name we have prayed. Let's share the grace together and fellowship with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore. Amen. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives and we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. Our bountiful harvest is sure to tirelessly labor for souls. The Lord will help us in Jesus' name.